This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 3, Episode 3. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Brought to you by Excess Sites. And today is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined today by Matthew Marister. Once again. The man himself. <laughs> I'm back, he man. Is. Yeah, here again. Guys, we welcome you to this episode where we're going to actually discuss and break down the Arvada, Colorado shooting. Uh, it happened in Old Town, Arvada, exactly a month ago today, by date. Uh, in fact, so we're going to we're going to share with you some some takeaways and lessons to be learned from that incident. There's still a lot that we don't know, but there's enough t- that we do know that we feel it's uh, an okay time to. You know, share some of those lessons and takeaways from that incident. Uh, this is something I think we all can benefit from because any one of us could find us in a similar situation. So how can we handle those situations correctly and appropriately? How can we avoid being the good Samaritan that gets shot by whether it's police or other concealed carry responders? All important things to discuss. But first, today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by CCW Safe. CCW Safe is I, I'm I'm a proud member of CCW Safe. Been a member now for a couple of years, actually, and uh, I'm just you know I I couldn't be happier with my coverage from CCW Safe. In fact, here is I think this is only something they send to Ultimate members, but this is my CCW Safe Ultimate member challenge coin which is pretty cool so I, I can't promise you this but i think they send this now to all ultimate members um pretty cool little coin it also has their hotline right there on it oops and i just dropped oh, it. There you go. <laughs> half price uh, and it's gone i have no idea where it even <laughs> went hit the floor and it rolled away somewhere but uh proud of my membership in ccw safe like i said uh guys go to ccwsafe.com to Learn more about the coverage and what they have to offer. Uh, I'll tell you the biggest thing that drew me to CCW Safe is just the kind of people that the owners and founders of CCW Safe are. I truly believe, and I know because it's evidenced in cases that they've actually covered, that they have my back. And that's a, that's a pretty good feeling. So... Also, today's episode sponsored by AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Uh, we're also proud to have had them a part of our family here for a good number, a couple of years now. Ammo Supply Warehouse, purveyors of fine freedom seeds, as they say on their website. And they're starting to get more and more inventory in. I've been getting more and more emails and notifications from them about stuff in stock. Prices are coming down. So things are looking a lot better than it was six months, eight months, nine months ago. So we would appreciate your support of our sponsors, including CCW Safe and Ammo Supply Warehouse, uh, including for your upcoming ammunition needs. Go to AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com for great service and ultra-fast shipping. I've, I've been just really impressed with how fast they get stuff out 
when I ordered it on their site. So, guys, thank you for your support of our sponsors. It keeps us being able to do what we do here with the podcast. So, Matthew, let's get into our topic today. As let's we mentioned, we're, we're discussing this shooting incident that happened in Arvada, Colorado, uh, an area of town that they call Old Town Arvada. It's, it's really the old center of where Arvada was founded. And Arvada is a... Um, essentially a suburb, if you will, of the Denver metropolitan area. It's it's to the north and west of downtown Denver, uh, a few miles. A nice, nice community. <clears throat> I'm very familiar with Arvada. I've got many friends that live in Arvada. Uh, I've done work in Arvada, traveled through Arvada many, 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 many times, uh, had lunch and dinners and parties and all kinds of things. So it, this is just, you know, this is like, 10, 15 minutes from where I live, just north of me. So um, where where this occurred at is, like I mentioned, it's, it's, it's an old downtown area that's been revitalized. Uh, it's got kind of the classic uh, front building facades. You walk through through town there and there's, you know, a lot of restaurants and, and bakeries and, you know, just cool little businesses you can check out there in downtown Arvada. Arvada itself as a municipality is actually a pretty large municipality in terms of area that it covers. It extends pretty far out to the west and, and northwest. Um, but uh, so, so they cover a lot of ground. Um, but, uh, you know, and population wise, too, I should mention, it's, you know, pretty good size. It's probably I don't I haven't looked it up, but it's probably like the sixth largest city would be my guess in, in all of Colorado. You know, it's a couple hundred thousand people for sure. So that gives you a little context of where Arvada, Colorado is located. So this incident was obviously very close to me personally and Jacob as well, who is not on the show with us today. Uh, in fact, Jacob did his own episode on the on-duty, off-duty podcast with host Brian Eastridge about this same topic a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. So I would actually you know, encourage those of you watching or listening to this episode today, you can go check that out for some additional uh, context and a different perspective from both Brian and Jacob than probably what Matthew and I will share here today. I I imagine many lessons will be similar, but there's just, there's different perspectives. For instance, Brian, who is the host of the on duty, off duty podcast is a full-time employed, active, you know, law enforcement officer. uh, Whereas Matthew used to be police officer. Hmm. Um, I've worked as a reserve um, officer, you know, so, um, so, you know, just different, different contexts and, and Brian had a lot of really interesting things to, uh, share on that episode that he did with Jacob. Uh, some of which, like I said, will probably be similar to what we do here today. But, uh, the, the first thing I thought is that, you know, why don't we kind of just talk real quick about what happened? I think Matthew, you're comfortable enough giving us a, an overview of, sort of the timeline of events. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, So as you kind of mentioned in a a lot of you probably have been following the story to some degree. Um, We really don't have a ton of information um, from the police department. Um, But what we do know um, is, is that there was a call earlier um, to the Arvada police department, uh, reporting party calls and says his brother, uh, he thinks he's going to do something, uh, 
his brother's going to do something crazy uh, and they want to do uh, the police to go do a welfare check on him. Police go out there. This is about uh, 12, around 1249, uh, around at 108, uh, Officer Beasley, uh, the Arvada police officer, he goes out to the to the residence, attempts to contact uh, the, the brother uh, to do a welfare check and can't contact him because the brother has already left. Uh, this brother that we're talking about, he's going to be ultimately the shooter. So I'll refer to him as the shooter. Um, so uh, 117... Dispatch receives a suspicious person call in this area where the shooting ultimately takes place. It, the suspicious shooter is not described as, you know, a guy with a gun or anything. It's it, it's unrelated um, and they don't suspect that this is the same person. So Officer Beasley is dispatched to that call um, and he uh, gets dispatched at around 1.30. So this is all happening relatively, you know, within an, within an hour. Um, he arrives minutes after that. He parks his vehicle, walks through an alleyway to get to this uh, park where the suspicious person was. Um, and as he's walking through, Officer Beasley's walking through the uh, the alley towards the park. The suspect, who's the shooter, um, sees him. He's driving a vehicle, parks his vehicle in the in the alleyway, and exits the vehicle uh, with a semi-automatic shotgun. Chases down Officer Beasley, who is unaware that this guy is running behind him with the shotgun. Um, when, when when the suspect uh, gets close enough, he's yelling at Officer Beasley. Officer Beasley turns, not suspecting that this guy has a firearm or anything like that, just turns because somebody's yelling at him and chasing him um, and is immediately shot. Uh, he's he's killed right there. Um, the shooter then shoots some rounds into some other police vehicles that were parked in the area, uh, shoots at least one round in the air, runs back to his truck, exchanges the shotgun for an AR and heads back down um, the, the alley in the same direction. Um, at this time, obviously, police uh, uh, calls are going in to 911 saying, hey, there's a, there's a shooter. There's shootings going, uh, somebody shooting guns. Um, and uh, so police are starting to be dispatched to this area for potentially active shooter or something like that. Uh, around the corner is a army surplus store where uh, Hurley, the the concealed carrier who ultimately gets shot by police uh, is in shopping. He hears the the gunfire and uh, heads in the direction. Um, he confronts the shooter um, who now has a, ha- is armed with the AR. He engages him uh, in, in shoots and kills uh, the shooter right there. He, the, Hurley then uh, goes in a, picks up the firearm, the, the AR 15 from the shooter, just as um, police are arriving. And uh, we don't, we have video of a lot of this um, up until the point where um, the shooter is engaged by Hurley and um, Hurley's engaged by the police. Um, So that's out of the view. And so we don't have any video of that. Um, So all we have is witness statements and what the police have released. And as far as uh, what we know, you know, Hurley had, uh, the suspect's AR in his hand and were suspected to be um, the shooter and uh, was shot by police and he ultimately died. So uh, that's what we know um, 
if you know if anybody claims to know anything different, they're they're obviously getting information that the police haven't released. Um, but that's what we know as as of you know July twenty first. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty concise uh, retelling of the incident. Um, you know, we can get into some of the more specific uh, timeline sorts of things, uh, but basically what you should know is that everything occurs over the period of about 40 minutes or so from the first call from the suspect's brother who asked for the welfare check that comes in about 11 minutes before one o'clock on the day of the shooting. And then uh, the second call of a suspicious person is like 20 minutes later. And then the actual shooting happens uh, about 10 minutes or so after that. Uh, keep in mind that it is actually officer Gordon Beasley, who is the officer that was shot and killed in the incident. Uh, he actually, re- he's the one that went and performed the welfare check, did not find uh, this man they were looking for that they were there to check because likely he was already gone and was near the scene of where the shooting went down at. Uh, so then the officer uh, is that he was there with, with somebody else with a fellow Arvada police officer. Uh, they then, uh, 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 cleared that call and then like right around that same time is when the call came in for a suspicious person in the old town Arvada square area. So then officer Beasley uh, takes that call is dispatched over there. And uh, that's unfortunately where it all goes down. Like I said, about 10 minutes later uh, when officer Beasley is shot again, it, it is known that he was approached from behind by the suspect who then called after him Officer Beasley turned to face him to see, you know, hey, what's going on? And in- instantly is is shot a couple of times by the shotgun uh, and is believed was, you know, killed uh, right then and there. I don't know, you know, if it was instantaneous or not, but he was he was down and out of the count um, right away, uh, taking a couple of pretty severe blasts from a shotgun. Uh so, uh, and then like you mentioned, the, it's, the other reports that we have seen is that the suspect, as you mentioned, blew out a bunch of like windows and stuff in police cars, apparently that were in the area. It said that in a couple of media reports, not really sure what that looks like um, or where, if there's cars in the area, where those officers would be. Um, but um uh, you know, then he has pl- he has time to he kind of runs sort of fast walks his way back to his pickup and exchanges the shotgun for the AR. And it's shortly after that that he encounters Johnny Hurley, who is our good Samaritan in this story. Uh, now, witness statements and reports, uh, as recorded in the local media, uh, where th- there was both uh, the owner or manager or an employee of the army surplus store where Johnny Hurley came out of. And I, I know that army surplus store. I've been right there before. In fact, I did a call out, uh, when I was working at as a reserve, uh, and actually worked, I, I, I walked these very streets in uniform uh, a few years back. And, uh, so very, very, you know, it's actually taking me back to, to that. Although that was a, that happened at nighttime, but, Anyway, Army Surplus Store, the owner or employee of that store stated that Johnny was in that store. He was, you know, browsing the wares in this Army Surplus Store. 
and here's the commotion going on outside. Here's the shooting, whatever. And Johnny himself was armed and goes out of the store and apparently shortly after encounters the shooter and puts him down, puts him down. Uh, this is a remarkable incident in the fact that our bad guy at this point is armed with an AR-15. Our good guy most likely armed with just a standard pistol, right? He's carrying it concealed. We don't know what he was using or what he was carrying. I, I'd kind of like to know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was a P365, right? It's a very popular option these days. Could be a shield. Could be a Glock 43, 43X, 48. Uh, but I've seen photos of Johnny. He's not a very large man. Uh, he's quite trim and, and fit and lean. So I kind of suspect that he, you know, and knowing what most concealed carriers tend to pack in terms of guns these days, he's probably not carrying a full-size gun. Now, I'm, I'm surmising, you know, this is my assumptions that I'm that I'm making here based on, you know, what, what is likely to be the case. Um, but uh, either way, like, it doesn't really matter. It could have been a full size. It could be a Glock 17 for all I know with a red dot on it. But he was going up against a man that was bent on killing people and was armed with an AR-15. That is, I won't say insurmountable odds because it's certainly far from that. And, in fact, this case proves just how, you know, a good guy with a pistol could take out a bad guy with a lot more firepower. But that is a tall order. That is not something I ever wish to find myself in. If, I, if I'm if i ever involved in an incident that requires me to use deadly, justified deadly force, I hope it's against some punk with a, you know, cheap, like, South American made 380 AC or 25 ACP or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't want to be going up against AR 15s or shotguns for that matter. Um, but we don't get to pick the day and the time and the place and the circumstances of our shooting. And Johnny didn't get to either. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the first thing we should discuss Matthew is the fact that Johnny Hurley decided to go intervene Mm -hmm. right because he could have easily just hunkered down in that army surplus store and he'd be alive today to talk about it most likely right so Mm -hmm. your thoughts on going to confront this active shooter yeah I, i i everybody has to make that decision right but like i think we and we've talked about this a lot but I think um, it's important to kind of revisit it and say, you know, because I've talked to a lot of people that carry a gun and they've been carrying a gun for some brand new and some for a while. And I ask them, you know, situation, say, for for example, this or something in the news. And and I say, you know, you think you'd get involved in that? And, And they have no idea. Right. They're like, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, every situation is different. I just have to wait and see. Or they're I they're they're, you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd be there without a doubt. Like they, they don't really think about it. It's, it's always like, well, now I have the gun. So of course I'm going to be like, of course, why wouldn't I? I mean, I'm getting involved in everything. And so I think we have to like, um, 
you know, we talk about how to pull triggers and how to look at sites and all this stuff, but, and we might know the law and, but I, I don't know if a lot of people pay, uh, like time to just reflect and think, you know, what, what are the things that I'm willing to get involved in? Um, and that might change if I, you know, for me, it changes if I'm with my family, if I have my daughter with me or my wife, or if I'm alone or, or whatnot. But, um, I, you know, and, and, and of course you can't think of every situation and say, yeah, these situations, you know, but you have to have a baseline understanding of like, anytime I get involved in anything, right? Like the, the, the potential of me having to shoot somebody or me being shot or injured or me injuring somebody or, or whatever, increases. So what are the things that I'm willing to get involved in and, you know, put some, some sobering, you know, thought into that because when the shots are going off and I'm not saying that, you know, he did anything wrong by intervening. I'm just saying when the shots are going off, that's not the time to say like, uh, you know what? I never really thought about this. Do I really want to even get involved? You know? So, um, I think we, it's an individual decision that we have to, we really have to think about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, because this is a very a topic that we have discussed many times on the podcast, and you know the 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 advice that we've offered many times is be careful getting yourself involved in other people's problems, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, we we know the end result here is that Johnny Hurley got himself shot. Okay, um, which is terribly unfortunate. And we're going to talk some more about that. He would not have gotten shot by police if he had not chosen to intervene at the same time, like we got to make the decision of what are we willing to, to live with? Okay. When a gun is introduced into an equation, we, it, it is impossible to predict what comes out the other end of that equation. And that is something that's really important to realize when a gun is introduced into an equation, it's impossible to predict what comes out the other end. Frankly, anytime violence is the equation, you don't know what comes out the other end, whether a gun or not. But especially us talking from a concealed carry perspective, you don't know and you cannot guarantee what the outcome is, right? This could mean that you choose to intervene in a situation. Like imagine you walk yourself out of that store and you see one man with a gun pointed at another man and and you heard some shots or something. And you walk out and you see, this is what you see. One man with a gun in hand pointing at another man, you know, 10 feet away. And so you go, oh, this man here is trying to shoot or hurt or kill this man here. And so you shoot the man with the gun. What if you had just walked out and what you missed one second before you walked out that door, that the man with the gun actually was the good guy that had just successfully performed a gun takeaway from the other man who was trying to rob him. But you just shot the good guy, right? You've got to be willing to live with that consequence that you misjudged what was actually occurring. All right. And that might cause you to think twice before intervening in other people's problems. It might cause you to think, well, about how what your response might be or how your response might be different, right? Might you ensure that you have a position of cover or a position of advantage before your gun is out and drawn and you are then yelling commands at those involved, right? 
and that hopefully in the in the process of yelling and issuing commands the circumstances of the of this of the situation reveal themselves right uh, it could be that you emerge from that store and you see a man actively engaged in seeking hunting or shooting people down which sounds like is what happened with this incident here right uh, I, I I'd like to think that Johnny knew something was up went out and recognized hey there's a man with an AR15 and he's he's firing shots he he's shooting at people I mean we know that there was no other innocent uh, bystanders shot or killed or injured in this incident it, it seems to me this whole thing was set up to be a shootout with cops with mm-hmm. police based on statements from the man himself the suspect himself things that he had written you know in days weeks months before and stuff like that and so in the video yeah it's like uh, he, a suicide by cop mm-hmm. right so he may not have been uh, trying to shoot or kill anybody else but trying to cause enough commotion, obviously, to uh, bring enough law enforcement response so he could engage with as many of them as he could, would be my would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Either way, you emerge, you see man with AR-15 firing shots, shooting out windows of cars, shooting buildings, whatever, and you draw your pistol and you and you engage, and miraculously you're successful in stopping that. Awesome, great. Bravo. You are the good guy. You are the hero today. But the aftermath, again, you introduce a gun into an equation. You can't guarantee what comes out the other end. And what Johnny didn't know is that responding officers would have a hard time discerning that Johnny was, a, was actually the hero in this case and that Johnny was going to get shot. We don't know exactly how that played out, but Matthew, what are kind of what are your thoughts? I know you've spent some time thinking about this. How how do you imagine that this plays out to where Johnny finds himself getting shot? And we we know obviously he picked up the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the statement is that he was holding uh, the uh, shooter's rifle when yeah. officers arrived. Yeah. So I mean, and he, here's the thing: like we see this, um, there there is a concern, right, about what do we do as concealed carriers, civilians, or even an off-duty police officer who's in plain clothes, right? Like if you're involved in a use of force, you're, you, you shoot somebody and you know police are arriving or you, it's it's reasonable to assume that police are going to be called to the scene, right? And you're out in public. Um, we, we've seen incidents similar to this happen, not... Um, not an overwhelming majority of, of incidents, um, but sometimes, you know, people um, who stop the threat end up getting shot by responding officers. And, you know, it, here, here's the thing. We all want the police to discern better and we want them to take that extra split second to really try to identify, hey, is this the shooter? Is this the bad guy? Is this a guy, a good guy who picked up the gun? We we expect that and we want that. And certainly that's what uh, all police departments should strive in their training. But police officers are humans. And, you know, we have 
you know, people that shoot their family members and mistaken identities. And, um, and certainly, you know, we don't suspect that those people are, you know, just recklessly, um, you know, they did something reckless, but we don't ascribe like some sort of evil motive to that. Like, so I think we have to look at it and say, it's a, it's a fact of human nature that in chaotic situations, there's chances of mistaken identity, lack of communication. Um, and when you're in dealing with firearms, you, you don't always get a chance to say, Oh, my bad, you know, let's, let's do this over. So, you know, um, we have to assume that police are responding. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we can sometimes just say, well, the police should do a better job and they should know, you know, they should know that Hurley was the good guy. And I, I am not <laughs> before anybody jumps and says, oh, you're a bootlicker or anything you're, you're covering for the, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we all have an individual role to play in how we're perceived in the aftermath of a shooting, right? Like, so you can't just say, well, I should, they should have known that Hurley was the good guy and therefore, you know, everything should have come out because could come out good because it didn't. So what could we look at and say, if I'm Hurley, what can I learn from maybe the mistakes that he made and the mistakes that the police made and, and come up with a better way or, or higher probability that if this happens and I do intervene and I think he did an awesome job and I probably would have done the same thing. Uh, Guys shooting random cops and people uh, shooting in in the air and stuff. I'm, I can't say that I would, you know, have not intervened, but like if I am and I know I'm in a public space, what are the things that I can do knowing that the police are coming that, um, that better my chances, right? Like I'm not going to put all my eggs in the, in, in the training of the police officers that are arriving. Cause I don't know. I don't know if it's a rookie his first day on the job or if it's a seasoned dude who's, you know, calm, cool and collected. I don't know, but I can't control what I do. So I think maybe, um, you know, we can look at some of those things. Those that's those are really excellent points, and I, I appreciate you bringing those up. Like that is so true that we don't know who is going to be responding first to the scene. I mean, like what you just said there is so so key to to much of this that it, it could be the rookie cop on the first day of his job, and yeah, some rook some rookies are really dialed in, really switched on, but a lot of them lack a lot of experience, right? Haven't seen a lot of things yet. Uh, may get a little excited by the excitement and the stress. Um, but also there are veteran cops that have been on the job for, I shouldn't say too long, but they've just, you know, it's been a, they've been fortunate that they haven't had to deal with a lot of crap and they've gotten a little bit relaxed. Maybe, you know, maybe they're getting, maybe they're Maybe they're weeks away from retirement and they're just trying to coast their way to retirement. You know, you just never know who's going to show up on that day. And so what's important about that is that uh, to your point, not because obviously police have has a, a big responsibility in this. Right. They're the guys that are supposed to be trained to deal with situations like this. They're the guys that 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 we look to, to protect us in our communities, right? This is their job. I am a professional and, and just as people, you know, viewing, watching, listening to this podcast are professionals in their own rights and their own respective careers and, and things that you guys are, are professionals in. This is, 
the profession of a police officer. They should not screw this up. At the same time, we know mistakes happen. But while it is, while the onus is significantly upon the law enforcement officers to make sure that they do their job well, we still have a responsibility ourselves because we also chose to involve ourselves in the situation. Okay. We also have responsibility to think about how we might be perceived, how our actions, how our look, how, well, whatever it is, we need to be thinking about that stuff. All right. Ahead of time. And also in the moment, we need to be clear-minded enough to be like, oh, you know, because like, here's what I think kind of, you know, I think this is a likely thing to have happened. I think Johnny shot the bad guy. Bad guy goes down. Bad guy's probably, you know, is, is a warning. This is a bit graphic, right? But Matthew, you know, as I know that when, when people are dying, it's not, um, it's not like the movies show a lot of times, right? Where bad guy gets shot a couple times and he drops to the ground and is silent. Uh, there's usually gasping for air and wheezing and, uh, tremors and, and whatever, you know, like it, it, Johnny shot the guy, the guy went down, but he's, there's probably still movement, right? Of some kind. Mm -hmm. Johnny reaches to grab the rifle to get it out of his reach. That's not an unsmart thing to do, right? Not I mean, on its face, that's not a dumb thing to do to make sure, hey, I've incapacitated, whether temporarily or whatever, I've incapacitated this bad guy, but his weapon's still in his hands. It's still slung around his body. It's within reach or whatever. Like, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do to remove the weapon away from the bad guy's reach. But, and I suspect that Johnny is probably doing that very thing, grabbing the rifle to get it away from him. And it could be just at that very moment that officers come around a corner. Now, actually, you know what? Let me let me just share with you really quick. I'm going to share my screen. I know those of you listening to the odd to the audio only will not be able to see this, um, but we'll do our best to describe it for those of you that are viewing. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, I don't know if I know how to do this. Well, okay, let's do this. Um, but I, I've got a map pulled up of the area that this occurred in. All right. So here you go. All right. Now, I, the, the challenge is I, I wish I could like draw on this and show you. But but where this map is centered is right over the Old Town Arvada Square. And so it's kind of got a reddish brick surface on the pavement. Uh, with concrete there more in the middle, you see some trees and grass on one side. On the corner, um, just opposite of that is the Army-Navy surplus store where Johnny Hurley was located. Okay, You see the, Ar the Arvada Library. Okay, uh, It's just to the east of the square. This is where the bad guy pulled in with his truck. And it's down this alleyway towards the square that he chased after, the, uh, after Officer Beasley and shot him out here kind of on the edges of the, uh, of the uh, square. Okay. in that kind of concrete area. Um, so we know Johnny comes from the West. The bad guy comes from the East. 
the officer, Officer Beasley, has already responded to this area, is likely parked kind of in this back alley parking lot area somewhere in there, and it gets shot out here. You can see how the, these buildings are like two, three, and four-story buildings, okay? So you see there's a lot of hard edges, a lot of corners. You got alleyways galore. So I, I show this just to paint the picture that I don't know exactly where Johnny shot the bad guy, but it's likely in this area. And depending on where you come from as a responding officer, I, I hope that paints a picture of what it might look like when you arrive on scene and you're the responding officer and you come you might literally come around a corner. And next thing you know, right in front of you is a guy holding an AR-15 rifle, and you know there was just shooting that just took place. And you know that concealed carry civilians aren't walking around with ARs typically. So this is likely your guy, and there's a dead guy on the ground, That, but that could be the guy that this guy with the AR in his hands just shot. Mm -hmm. Right? So you see how this can, this can happen very quickly in the blink of an eye where an officer is expected to make a snap second, you know, split second decision to like, Oh dude with AR, I'm about to get myself shot. I better respond with force kind of thing. All right. Now we, we wish and hope and would think that commands could be issued or would be issued and that people would be reasonable in their actions in the aftermath of a stressful event like this and would respond appropriately, meaning that, our good guy here would immediately drop the weapon and raise his hands and, you know, that kind of thing. But maybe there wasn't a chance. Maybe he wasn't aware of the commands being issued. Maybe he didn't understand. Maybe he couldn't hear, uh, didn't see. Like, there's just so many things that could go wrong. Now, again, that that just tells me, all right, again, we want our law enforcement to be better trained, always. I'm always... I'd love to see officers get better training because I know the kind of training they get. And it's, I won't say it's bad. I'm just saying that they could get a lot more. So more training would be a good thing for our law enforcement officers and agencies out there, right? More training that's specific to dealing with events like this, interacting with armed civilians, not a bad idea, right? At the same time, if we're carrying a gun for our own protection and the protection of those we care about, we also still have responsibility for our own safety to make sure that we're not judged to be the bad guy by cop or fellow civilian. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be thinking of how are my actions going to be perceived if somebody else shows up to the scene? That's a really, really important question to consider if you're carrying a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those things, I mean, that might, a lot of it's obvious, like in in the comments, a lot of people are spot on, like, Hey, don't pick up the firearm. Right. Right. There's, I, I get the, the, the urge to separate the firearm from the guy or something like that. I get it. But as you close that distance, you're putting yourself at a higher risk. That person may, if, if they are dead, right. And they're incapacitated, then who cares if they have the firearm, if they aren't dead, um, 
and you're closing that gap now, you're you're being sucked into a situation where you, you may be getting shot at, you know, three inches rather than 25 feet or something. And, and, and there may be another another shooter. So getting getting sucked in to do that, to either grab the gun or even this is a little bit different, but even render aid, you know, first aid to the person. Um, this is why it's, it's probably not a good idea to get to get in there. But, you know, so obviously we want to try to avoid picking up the firearm. Um, I suspect it might have been different had um, the shooter had a handgun rather than a long gun, as you mentioned, right? Like um, probably the long gun was more uh, obvious to the responding officers and it might have been uh, perceived as a, as a as an immediate threat rather than maybe a handgun that was you know, just being held uh, at their side. I don't know, but, um, but, you know, things that w- we could think about are, um, you know, when, if we're involved in a shooting is to try to start calling out to, to, you know, people that, that are in the area, Hey, call 911, let them know I'm a, I'm a concealed carrier, give them my description. Or if you can, right. Like you may not have the the ability to, but if you're making the 911 call, make sure that, your description is given to 911, right? Like the dispatchers, um, you know, not holding the gun out at the ready out, out in the open. I mean, you go to that high ready or a sewell position or, you know, if you can't get back to the holster, if you don't feel comfortable, um, moving to a position of cover where you may be able to get back in the holster or get to like a, 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 a more of a less um, aggressive posture, maybe putting up one hand. Hey, I'm over here, you know, officer, I'm over here. I'm the concealed carrier holding up your hand. That's less, less um, uh, likely to be perceived as somebody who's actively uh, a threat. Right. Um, We talked about before, you know, the, the one shooting several years ago in the mall where the, the, the one guy got shot, he wasn't involved. He was a concealed carrier, but he pulled out the gun and a gun after some shots were fired in the mall and was running with the gun um, back to the scene after he ran away from the scene to maybe chamber around and was running back and was perceived as a threat and reasonable. I, I mean, we, it's horrible that he got shot because he wasn't involved, but you can see how an officer is just rolling up or just coming around the corner after a shooting sees a guy running with a gun in his hand towards the scene or away from the scene even um, could perceive that. So we got to think about, you know, some of those things. And I know you have some good ideas about that too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And as you've been talking, uh, for those that are listening only, uh, I've been just kind of showing some different angles of the old town Arvada square, just, just to give people some more context and background of, of, you know, kind of how this location is set up. Um, and to answer some questions, you got some people like you mentioned have said, don't, don't pick up the rifle. Uh, somebody mentioned, you know, you could approach carefully and maybe kick it away and that kind of thing. Uh, that'd be better than actually grabbing it, lifting it and holding it. Um, but you know what? I'm looking at this area, okay, and, and and the smarter thing, I believe, almost always would be to get yourself or withdraw yourself to a position of cover. Because mm-hmm. guess what? You can still put gunfire on that person if they proceed to be a threat, meaning that they if they kind of reanimate and they grab their weapon and begin shooting again or begin lifting it, like you can put shots on them again in pretty quick succession. If you have to just take up a good position. I mean, we see, we've got multiple trees in the area. We've got vehicles, we got benches and 
tables. We got all kinds of buildings. There's this structure out behind the library, you know, like a big brick or, or block wall fence thing. You know, just, I don't know exactly where Johnny was at, but the point is, is like, look for things in your environment that you can use as cover. Okay. And just take up a better position, a position of advantage while you're maintaining visual contact with this threat. And if you got to put more rounds on them, put more rounds on them. Chances are you can put more rounds on them before they can put more rounds on you. And while you're maintaining your distance, which from a safer vantage point, and it may also be safer for you just in terms of law enforcement or, or others that may be responding because you're not so much out in the open yourself. So just some things to, uh, to consider there. So to your point, uh, you and I discussed uh, before we launched this uh, episode, Matthew, that uh, you know, we were kind of talking about other good guy incidents. Uh, we talked a little bit about other stories that we're familiar with where good guys got shot by good guys, including by cops. Uh, probably the most famous recent example, uh, because it got quite a bit of press, I'd say, you know, quite a bit of like kind of negative press. And by that, I mean, you know, the incident was a terrible incident, uh, but it gets the kind of negative press that, that where they try to paint the picture that why are good guys, why are civilians carrying guns around in the first place, right? Because this is the danger that could befall you. You know, you could get yourself shot because cops won't know who the good guy really is. So the, the, the most famous recent example is the E.J. Bradford shooting in Alabama that happened in a mall on Thanksgiving night. It was like three years ago. Well, two and a half-ish. Um, where, you know, th- there was there was a shooting in the, the this kind of mall court area uh, near a J.C. Penney store and a couple other, you know, well-known stores. And people start scrambling. And E.J. Bradford... Initially kind of ran away, but he drew out his pistol, chambered around, according to what I read, and then returned back towards where the initial shooting took place. I mean, I think he was thinking like a good guy. Hey, this is not good. I've got my gun. And he initially ran away, got his gun ready, and then starts coming back to, I guess, defend. But in that process, and this all happened in like five seconds, which is very, very fast two officers that happen to be right in the area. Uh, they run up on the scene and on, on EJ Bradford and shoot him because they see a man with a gun outstretched uh, running. And did uh, they perceive him as being the threat? So a real crappy situation, right? And uh, yeah, and I don't want to, we don't need to get into the weeds on that one necessarily because there's you know, lessons to be learned on learned on both the the officer side as well as the civilian side from even an incident like that. But just using it, there, it's another example where this kind of thing has happened. So, mm-hmm. what the current mainstream media would have you believe is that anytime we have armed civilians in the general public intervening in in crimes, that they're going to get themselves hurt, and that nobody will know who the good guy is. But what we'd like to express at this point is that that is a fallacy. And it's a fallacy. I mean, it it is true in that it can happen and does happen and has happened, but it's a fallacy to think that it's something that happens frequently 
or with regularity because that is not true. All right. Mm -hmm. I did some digging and it's actually kind of challenging to find news reports and stories of good guys getting shot by good guys responding to other bad guys. It's not that common. Um, I can find all kinds of incidents and we have covered numerous incidents on this podcast in our justified saves episodes of good guys that have positive interactions with law enforcement quite regularly after they've dealt with some kind of criminal element. And that caused me to, to, you know, and I, I remembered Matthew and I had to remind you, you of this, but this uh, Oklahoma city, o- Oklahoma city shooting at a restaurant called Louie's restaurant uh, a couple years back. And you had a, a, a shooter that walked into this restaurant, shot a 12 year old girl and a couple other people and two good Samaritans ran to their vehicles because they didn't have their guns on them. I remember we talked about that. Like, hey, it would have been better to have them on you. But, hey, good job on getting to your guns and putting an end to this. But these two good Samaritans ran to their vehicles, retrieved their firearms, and shot and killed this active shooter in Oklahoma City. And police respond. And you and I just reviewed the body camera footage, and we heard the firsthand reports of what officers found when they came on the scene. And in the case of one of them, he said as he rolled up that this guy was shooting that guy. So he witnessed the end of this altercation. He witnessed the good guy kill the bad guy. And somehow none of the good guys got killed Mm -hmm. and shot by police. Likely because they responded immediately to the orders from this police officer to show hands and drop their weapons. He says he, he got his gun on them and got them on the ground and got, you know, the scene secured. So, and that's just one example, but that's a highly chaotic example of just showing how this often plays out in a very positive way where the good guys get the job done and everybody goes home to tell a happy tale. Maybe not a happy tale, but everybody lived to see another day. So it's a fallacy to believe that good guys get shot all the time by other good guys trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But this whole Arvada, Colorado shooting incident is a cautionary tale to all of us of the dangers that do come with being concealed carriers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but we don't want it to, it'd be better if it happened never. Right. Like, um, and, and I think, you know, when we were talking earlier, I, w- I was trying to think back to, uh, there, there were several, I'm, I, I can think of several, you know, calls I was on as an officer where I was, had pressure on the trigger and, and legally, I, I, I wouldn't have had my finger on the trigger if legally I didn't have a justification to shoot somebody. Right. And, and, and I didn't, um, because, um, I had time or I had distance or I had some level of discernment to say, okay, I, I can give this person more time to comply with what's going on. Um, and certainly, you know, as, as an officer, sometimes you have that ability because you're coming into the scene and you may have a little bit more knowledge than a concealed carrier who's just plopped into the middle of a of an incident, right? So you don't have the distance to walk up and kind of observe. You're just right there. And so um, I think, you know, as, as I'm thinking about 
those things that help me have have that extra second of discernment or extra second mm-hmm. to um to to not squeeze the trigger were you know communication either with the suspect like hey drop the gun or hey you know don't reach in your waistband um and, and them actually complying right Th- that was obviously a, a big thing um visual being not able to making s- sudden furtive movements right exactly right I mean, that that's a big one, right? Um, I, I think being able to see, observe. So as I'm going through as, as a concealed carrier, if you're, you know, think about this, we don't know the perception or the point of view from the officer. So imagine you're an officer or you're plain clothes, you're, you're, a, you're a concealed carrier coming up and on the other side of a car, you see a guy with an AR and he has an AR in his hand. You don't see that the guy, that the, the body of the guy on the on the car, you know, uh, on the ground on the other side of the car that he just took the AR from. All you see is guy with AR, right? So being able to to get visual, uh, uh, be able to see what's going on and get more of a picture gives you more information to be able to make those decisions. And maybe the officer only saw the you know waist up of Hurley holding a, a, a an AR. Um, I don't know, but. You know, th- those are the types of things. Communication, you know, like communicate. Um, the the incident you talked about, like with uh, with the two concealed carriers. There may be another concealed carrier that's watching this go down. Like, you know, it, it, is it is it smart to be able to communicate with people? Sure, you know, like, hey, maybe Riley and I are in the same spot, and I see Riley handling business with with this firearm. I might not have to pull out my firearm and rush in there. Maybe I get on the phone and I start acting as Riley's, you know, eyes and in his mouth to to start calling police and directing them and or you know identifying Riley. So think about like your role as a concealed carrier, not just hey, I got to rush to the scene and use the gun, but if 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 I see somebody else intervening, maybe I I help in another way, right? Instead of just mm-hmm. rushing in, and seeing. So those types of things give yeah. us a, a, an idea of maybe ways we can we can be part of the solution without being muddying the waters for for the officers or other concealed carriers. Yeah, but we talked before about similar things about uh, ways that we can. Visually and also somewhat subconsciously communicate that uh, that we're not the bad guy. Uh, Communication is a huge part of it, right? Uh, when you look at, like, for instance, even just watching the short video clip of our bad guy from this incident, right? Getting out of his pickup with the shotgun, running back, getting the AR, that kind of thing. Like, this is a guy on a mission, right? Like, if you watch his body language, he... he the movements are not the movements of a good guy. That makes sense, right? The way he's holding his guns. I mean, the way he's moving just out in the open, he doesn't care what the consequences of his actions are. That's a, that's a huge, huge, huge factor. Whereas if I'm a good guy responding to a situation like this, I'm moving up along vehicles or walls or buildings using cover. Right. Because I'm different than this bad guy. Right. And that's going to even communicate a little bit of a different subtle subconscious message visually to anybody watching that. Like this guy's moving like he's trying to avoid getting, you know, killed. And this guy over here is just 
willy nilly running wherever, pointing his gun at everything and everybody, right? Like that's, that's just it's different, right? Um, communication, like what the words you use and how you speak to others, and actually the fact that you do communicate to others, right? Like you just said, telling people, get on the phone, call nine hundred one, all right? I'm trying to help. I'm here to help. Um, telling you know your bad guy who may who may be on the ground and not even moving, and you're still t- you know issuing commands. You see officers do this quite often uh, because part of it's a uh, it's 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 how an officer wants to be perceived to the general public. You you want to see your officers telling someone to comply with commands even after you shot them, right? Because your goal is not to kill anybody. That might be what it results in, but you're you all you care about is the fact that we that we stop a threat from being a threat. And so, show me your hands. Show me your hands. Uh, you know, stop, stop right there. Get, you know, get down, show me your hands, whatever, uh, whatever's appropriate based on the context. Um, you know, and, and, and then not running around with a gun outstretched in your hands is pretty good advice, right? The only time the gun should be outstretched is when we, when we have identified a target, a threat, and we're engaging or getting ready to engage them. Right. So numerous reports of the E.J. Bradford shooting in Alabama that he was running outstretched with gun in hand. I, you know, I'm not trying to judge the, the man. He shouldn't have. I mean, it's unfortunate he, that he's dead. I wish he wasn't. He shouldn't be dead. But running around through a busy mall where people just got shot with your gun outstretched, not a good look. Right. Conversely, maintaining a low ready or trying to maintain a lower profile while you are pursuing the bad guy, that's probably a better move, a better play. So just some things to think about there. Again, thinking through of how you want to ensure that you are perceived by those that are observing witnesses or responders or otherwise. Uh, Really important things to consider in the communication. The sooner you can get on the phone. And many of us have phones these days, right? Where we can say, hey, Siri, my phone's going to probably... (laughs) <laughs> oh, it actually didn't. Wow, that's a miracle. Uh, you know, hey Siri, um, call nine one one, right? Or you can like click your home button, or you know, certain keystroke order thing on. I don't, you know, I can't speak to all the different models of phones out there, but there's ways that you can contact nine one one without even really having to pull your phone out and hold it to your ear, mm-hmm. right? And the sooner you can get on the phone and get on get on with dispatch giving them information about what's going on where the perpetrator is where you are the fact that you're a good guy you just put the bad guy down i'm wearing a white and gray plaid shirt thing with a camo multicam fta hat today right i'm a white male 6 foot 3 inches multicam hat white and gray plaid shirt with gray shorts on and blue shoes right i'm the good guy now, there's no guarantee that information gets passed through dispatch to the officers that need it, but we got to make an effort to get that information passed along as soon as possible. It, and, you know, as you were saying that, I, something popped in my head, and I think it's important, is that, like, the time to think about what you're going to say, the information that you want to relay to to 911 and, and, and these types of things, it it's... It, this is what we plan for before the incident, right? And these are the, this is the reason why we, we, we do training, 
um, and we try to automate the the technical aspects of shooting the gun, right? Like, so I'm not so absorbed into site alignment, site picture, and all this stuff that I can't even comprehend where I am, calling the police, what I'm looking like, like those things we have to be able to, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but we need to be able to um, reserve brain power for decision-making. And if we're, if we've never trained with the gun and we just expect to, to perform when the time comes, that's when we get a cognitive breakdown where we freeze up and then we can't, we should call the police and we know we should have, you know, in retrospect, we would have said, yeah, I don't know why I didn't call the police. I don't know why I didn't go to cover. I don't know why I just held the gun out and stood, you know, like, I don't know why I did that. Well, I know why, because your brain was overloaded. It was just overloaded sensory um, input was too much. And so if we can train and train out those, those like little common things where, I'm pulling the trigger. Okay. I don't need to think about that. I'm moving to cover. I don't really need to think about that because I see cover and I'm going to move there. My mind frees up to say, Hey, you call 911, let them know I'm a concealed care. And then if you can say that loud enough, where instead of people saying, calling 911 and saying, Hey, there's guys shooting the guns all over. Maybe you get one that says, Hey, there's somebody shooting. He says he's a concealed carrier. He's got a black shirt on and, 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 you know, he's a short dude with, with black hair, you know, like maybe that gets relayed. And, and so I, I'm just saying it, it goes, uh, we have to, we have to prepare our minds as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're really out of time uh, for this episode today, but, but I, I feel like we've provided a lot of different, considerations and things for people to think about uh, and to learn from based on this, on what we do know from this incident. Uh, I suspect we'll provide an update uh, about this, it, you know, provided there's noteworthy information that does come to light, you know, further context and background information about the actual incident itself, including the uh, immediate aftermath and the response of law enforcement to uh, Johnny Hurley, because that would be, you know, noteworthy, I think, for our listeners. So we'll try to keep you uh, tuned in on that uh, as information comes out. Uh, again, we're only a month removed from this incident, and there is a multi-jurisdictional uh, investigation uh, that's that's taking place uh, looking into all of this. Meaning that uh, Arvada Police is not involved in that investigation. Other agencies are, and and uh, want to make sure that uh, that we understand the full picture of what happened here, and also that I think law enforcement agencies are interested. I mean, I I know. Okay, I actually just talked with a friend of mine over the weekend who is a local law enforcement officer, different agency, but this is this is on their minds. They want to know uh, what comes out of this and what the recommendations are the best practices because nobody wants to shoot a good guy with a gun. All right. I promise you none of these officers out there wish this upon themselves or upon their fellow officers. So uh, this is being watched very closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll, we'll try to update you as, as we are able to do so again, today's episode sponsored brought to you by CCW safe, ccwsafe.com where you can learn more about them. I would encourage you to have some type of self-defense coverage program that backs you up because, um, you know, you you could be in that position where you have to use justified deadly force. And I promise you, you want these guys backing you up. Uh, they, they will cover your self-defense costs. 
your your legal costs, your representation. Uh, the cool thing about CCW Safe, Matthew, that that I think most of the other competitors don't do is they will they when they say they are that there is no limit to the uh, the coverage of the legal costs to defend you and defend a case that you're involved in, that includes covering paying for uh, 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 expert testimony and witnesses, right? Uh, and extra, and other professionals to consult on or testify on your behalf in your case. That's there's a lot of other coverages out there that that that's additional. Like they'll cover the le- the attorney fees, but oh, any you know expert testimony or witnesses or professionals to consult on your case that's going to come out of your pocket. Okay, that's really huge. That's really valuable, and it's also really critical to if, uh, mounting an effective defense should it come to something like that. But even if you were completely justified in your use of deadly force and you feel like you are and you're not getting arrested or placed under investigation or anything like, like that, uh, you still want to have representation and CCW Safe will be there to back you up. Again, ccwsafe.com to learn more. And Guardian Nation members save, uh, I think, 20%. So it's a pretty nice discount if you're a Guardian Nation member as well. And then also our second sponsor today, Ammo Supply Warehouse, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Also, Guardian Nation members get a 5% discount off of ammo purchased on ammosupplywarehouse.com. So guys, check check out our sponsors today. Appreciate you for your support. Before we let you go, we have a weekly giveaway winner to announce. Matthew has uh, got the scoop on that. Yeah. And we're giving away a Legal Boundaries by State book, a very valuable, helpful book. Uh, so one lucky winner of that. And next week, we're giving away a Ready Up Gear MCF or Modular Compact Flashlight Spark. The name is the flashlight. It's the Spark, the MCF Spark. This is mine here, 550 lumens with a 16340 battery. Pretty decent runtime for for a package of this size and awesome performance for something of this size. I found an older light of mine, Matthew, that I used to think was awesome. I had kind of misplaced it for a time. It's from a competing company, and I remember thinking it's similar in size to this, but it's actually larger by not a ton, but a fair amount. It's it's noticeably larger. Runs off of a single 16340 or CR123A battery, just like this one does. Um, but it is not nearly as bright, and it doesn't have as nearly focused of a beam, which is, again, the MCF Spark, I think, is where it's at for a light of this size, of this package, because it's excellent performance out of a very small package. It's great for many of you looking for an EDC-type light. So we're going to give away one lucky winner, a MCF spark next week. Make sure you're signing up for our weekly giveaways, concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And Matthew, who is our winner? The winner is Daryl. Last name starts with an A, Daryl. You are the lucky winner. Congrats, Daryl, on winning a Legal Boundaries by State book. Again, guys, next week we'll give away a flashlight. Pretty cool. Valued it like 50 bucks, thereabouts, 55. I don't remember exactly. It's about 50 bucks. So with that, we hope you've enjoyed this episode today. Uh, Come back for more. Jacob and I will be doing season three, episode four. We'll be providing your legislative news updates. We got some good ones for you there. So we'll be back here in a bit. Take care, everyone. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.